Holy Madness is brought to you by JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Ich versteinest. This podcast was voted World Sexiest Man, trims the hedges in your neighbor's garden, and can fix a carburetor with one hand tied behind its back. Without Holy Madness, there wouldn't be marker all over my walls. <laughs> You're listening to Holy Madness, episode 13. Joining us today, again, it's Sarah. Sarah, what's your favorite book in the Bible? Um, That's a really good question, because I don't read the Bible, so... You have definitely I've never... read sections of no, the No, so I've... Yeah, but I don't read it as a story. I read it as part of school, as citing... Um, it's not it's not a story as far hmm. as I experienced it. So because it was part of school, it was yeah, I got not tested. something that you could enjoy. Yeah, I got tested on the facts. Mm-hmm. I never actually cared for the story. Mm-hmm. It's like it doesn't have any relevance to me in the way that I personally learned it. So mm-hmm. yeah, what's yours? I'm assuming you have one. Yeah, sure. So if we're thinking just about Chumashim, I mean everybody's entranced by Bereshit Genesis. And probably also at least the first half of Exodus. Um, and then for me, I'm just in love with Bamidbar, with numbers. I love Sefer Bamidbar. So I love Sefer Bamidbar thematically. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's my favorite book. Really? Yeah. Like in, what, what, what do you mean? It's the one where I have found the most insight. Let's say out of the, the five books of, of Moses. More so, than, more so than Devarim, Deuteronomy. Yes, hmm. and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. I have not mastered the thought process that must have gone into it. Because Devarim mm-hmm. is meant to be a speech. It's a soliloquy. Essentially. Yeah. But you don't read it that way. It seems that in, until you understand how one topic leads into the next and how what picture is being painted by this speech it mm-hmm. just reads as random uh, not random but it, you don't yeah, see the random review of everything right. before yeah so so look i i place great stock in devarim and deuteronomy i uh try to read it every shavuot mm-hmm because if this is the holiday of the giving of the Torah, who better to study than the man who gave it? I think if I had to pick one, I mean, I'm tempted to say Ovadia, because it's like, you know, five sentences long, 24 to be exact. And amazing. Right. But it doesn't really speak much to me. I, I, I would probably I mean, it's pick... it's shorter than like half of the Psalms. Yeah. Or as you say, Psalms. Right. That's Psalms with a Z. Throwback <laughs> to like... Five other episodes. I would say, well, it's, it, here's the weird thing. It's not one book. It's two. Avadia? No, no. My favorite. It's oh. not really one book. It's two. And to half our listeners, it's three. Because they split one of them down the middle that we don't. But I would say it's Judges and Kings. Ah. Which really is one long work. Okay. By one author. Mm-hmm. However, you want to splice yeah. that. So, so the Gemara, the Talmud says it was written by Jeremiah, mm-hmm. by Yermio, 
Jeremiah is the guy who watches everything collapse. So he writes the definitive history of how things collapsed over. Not over just over how, again. but also why. Yeah. So when somebody's look, people have pointed this out. You don't need to be a Bible criticist to appreciate this. But we have two histories in Tanakh. They're two different historical works in, in the Bible of, of the same time period. Sarah, I bet you did not learn this in school. No. Nobody there learns Divrei Yomim. Yeah, I did not learn a lot. I've never gone through all of Divrei Yomim yet. Really? No. Oh. The name things, just the names part just weirds me out. It doesn't read mm. like anything. It's just literally a list of names. And if you get into it from the, the rabbinical perspective, in terms of the Gemara, the Medrash, mm-hmm. where all these names are referring to other people and how some people are listed 12 times, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Avi Soho, Avi Gadur, Avi this. That's all Moses. <laughs> it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all six of them are Moses. And then, and then you know. My father's name is Avigdor. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, so, you know, it goes through all these different names, but they're all one guy. And then you have other names. We don't know who any of these people are. And, like, the whole thing just doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't speak to me, but it, it doesn't speak to me. I don't see anything <laughs> in it. In Deverio. Um, Chronicles. Yeah, in Chronicles, right. So, but Chronicles and Kings, Deverio and Malachim, are a hist- two histories of the same time period. And not only do they not match up. Mm-hmm. In terms of they don't say the same things about the same people, but in, in some instances, they clash. Mm-hmm. Chronicles is kind of a whipping boy for a lot of people. It's like, I've never met anybody who's like, oh, I love Chronicles. Well, what I've come to love about it is the for me, somebody that really like, uh, loves the kings, is to see the differences and to appreciate, therefore, why kings is what it is. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, what it isn't. Mm-hmm. So when you have examples of things, there's, uh, I think it's Asa. Okay. Right. Asa is uh, uh, the fifth Judite king. And there's this story which is not brought in kings. It says, after it goes through what it deems important, it goes, and if you want to know all the other things about Asa, including that time he fought a million-man army and won, go look in Chronicles. (laughs) And sure enough. In Chronicles, the story's there. Mm-hmm. So, if this is a history, this is a pretty historical moment, mm-hmm. right? If it's not a history, then it's unimportant. Well, if it's not a history, then what is it? Mm-hmm. And then that forces you to get into... This is something I've tried to impress upon Sarah quite a few times already, and we'll take the opportunity to do it again, but She's who not wrote it? What are they trying to tell you? Mm-hmm. And how is the way they write it and the way they choose to write it telling you that? Mm -hmm. And if you read any book with that lens, I I will almost guarantee you it will be very different than if you just read the book. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. This Purim was the first Purim I actually wanted to listen to the Megillah. Really? I... Yeah, the... It's all your fault. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing to me today? Oh please! But well, here's yeah, the funny no, part. No, but this is. No, did we have something actually, to do with them? So, Svi actually spoke to me about this, and it was like you changed my perspective on the Megillah. I didn't even realize that it mattered. It was just again this text that you read. It's very hard to explain to somebody who doesn't know what it's like to be shoved 
a religion that you believe in mm. um, down your throat because look, it's really <sighs> look, it's for whoever hasn't been there. Yeah, this well, shoving of religion down one's throat is something that you know I get from the two of you, but it's not something that I relate to directly. You liked uh, he didn't grow up religious. I didn't grow up from. Really? No, I grew up in the reform community. So I had like a whole. I I grew up with an ideology, but not a religion. In some ways, that's worse. Oh yeah, for sure. But you know, in some ways, because religion softball. The way the way I would explain why religion is active. So to to put it to put it in a in a funny way, we call the religious Jews Orthodox. That's a mistake. It literally means correct belief. Belief. Ortho, correct. Dox, Dox is Greek for belief. But like most religious people are actually orthoprax, which, which means of the proper actions. Prax, praxis, practice. Practical. Yeah. Practice. Same, same yeah. root. So where I grew up, it was far more important to be orthoprax than orthodox. Frankly, if you worship Jesus in your head or in your heart and we're smart enough not to tell anyone but you went to shul every shabbos you put on tefillin every day you wore the proper clothing and you know uh did the you shook a lulav on sukkahs and whatever it was and said baruch hashem and yirat hashem and the proper yeah. formula right so. then yeah, then that was more important so like the way i grew up i actually cared I thought these things were real. That that's very dangerous and terrible. Um, questions need to be destroyed, as you know. Wait, thought what was real? I believe like I there God is real. Mm-hmm. Judaism is real. Mitzvot are real. What do you these mean, things matter. Real? Of course they matter. No. What do you? They don't matter. I okay. To, you lost me. To an orthopractic person, these things don't actually matter. Oh, sure. That's what I'm saying. So I grew uh, up, and I actually believed. Uh, you were a true believer. Yes. And then what? And so I was very burned out because no one around me did. Uh, so I went to school, and I was told that, oh, and if you want to serve God, what you need to do is learn these seven tractates of the Talmud. And, only seven of them. Right. Yeah. And not even just only seven of them. I happen to have gone to Yeshiva that took out Bava Basra and put him as the Shabbos. Why? Because the Rosh Yeshiva didn't want to give Shir and Bava Basra because he felt the Sukkis don't end. So he said, our Yeshiva is <laughs> okay. not doing Bava Basra. So That's... we did Shabbos instead. And I'm, I'm immensely thankful because the only reason I know anything about Shabbos is because in 11th grade we learned Masech the Shabbos. But I'm saying, but you know, but in any other yeshiva but mine, so you got the three bubbies, right? The three bubbies. The three bubbies. In, in in Yiddish, that's the three grandmothers. The three grandmothers, but in Aramaic, bava means a gate. So and he's referring to three tractates, tractates of the Talmud, which are literally named first gate, middle gate, and last gate in Aramaic: bava kama, bava metzia, and bava basra, as opposed to baba ganush, right, or baba sali. Or just Baba, Baba O'Reilly. Baba B, Baba B. Yeah, well. Yeah. So those three. Uh, the first one, uh, deal, they, they all really deal with uh, different aspects of torts and property law, which are pretty fundamental. 
But that makes it sound so boring. I mean, the interesting part is how you have to take everything apart and put it together. And like the part of the weird thing in property law. Wait, that's the thing. Mm. It is boring, but the method of our learning, which we've covered in, in previous episodes, is not. So yeah, you can actually yeah. find, mm-hmm. you can enjoy, put it this way, mm-hmm. two two anecdotes, which I think are, are, are wonderful. Um, when, when I was a high schooler, so some of my friends that went to more modern schools. So like next year. <laughs> some of my friends that went to more modern schools took part in the local, their local area, like uh, intramural competitions. So like they had sports? a debate. Right, well, there was sports teams, but, but they had a debate team. Oh, okay. And they had a mock trial team. Aha. Uh-huh. And they won the mock trial competition every year. Because they're a Gamora Knicks. Wait. Not just... So that's the two anecdotes. One is, as we're pointing out, we study law much differently than most people do. I didn't go to law school, but my one of my really good friends did. And I was young, married... He was single, mm-hmm. and his mother drove him nuts. And so uh, whenever he wanted to get away from there, he'd come hang out by my place, okay. and very often I'd wind up just, you know, doing his homework with him. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fascinating, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we spent years sending each other judges' decisions to read <laughs> and because they were interesting. But no other sane person, I think, would sit there, who's not a lawyer, would sit there going, hey, that judge's thing isn't, you know, that that, that decision was interesting. Just like, you know, but because, as you're saying, we learned Gemara mm-hmm. and we have that ability to deconstruct and reconstruct in the lens of personal and communal everything. Uh-huh. And it's built on precedence. Common law, so to speak. But it has a religious law aspect built into it as well. It's so multifocal, multipolar, and nuanced. The so legal perspective on things. Uh, yeah, the legal perspective of the Talmud. If you can master that, any country you're in is easy by comparison. So that's the first thing. That's what you were saying as a joke. Well, these are all Talmud students. These are all yeshiva kids. Yeah. Of course they can do well in mock trial. But here's the other thing, and this was the funny part. My friend, who was one of the leading lawyers in that mock trial team, said, well, yeah, sure, I'm sure that's part of it, but look, there are plenty of smart kids, so that's not all of it. You know what I really think it was? Well, when you do mock trial, you have to show up as if you're really in court. What do you wear to court? Oh. A suit and a tie. You've mentioned this to me before. Yes. Yeah. You wear a suit and a tie. Mm -hmm. If you're a regular secular person, how many times a year do you wear a suit and tie? Twice, unless somebody dies or right. gets married. But, but these guys were wearing right. them at least once a week. At least. Right. So they were perfectly comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so they were able to go out and perform without any sort of this like weird self-consciousness mm-hmm. that their opponents had. Yeah, this hit me in high school at some point. Because you know, even though I grew up outside of the Orthodox Jewish community. I did when I was in seventh and eighth grade go to an awful lot of bar and bat mitzvahs. <laughs> so almost every week, you know, I was dressing up in a suit, a double breasted suit. I knew what a double breasted suit was. 
I knew how to tie a tie and tie clips and the, the works. And sometime in high school, it hit me, you know, my other male peers don't necessarily own a suit. <laughs> yeah, they don't necessarily have this in their background. Whereas for me, I had a closet with five, six, seven different suits because how often can I wear the same suit to the to that week's bar bar mitzvah? Right. Right. And then you'd have to have one for, I mean, if you're Orthodox, you'd have to have another one just because Shabbat, you don't have time to get them cleaned necessarily. I actually still wear suits from that time period. Wow. I have, I have a double-breasted suit from when, I think from ninth grade. I think that's when I got it. Yeah, I can fit half of me in one of my suits from ninth grade, but <laughs> not for height, for weight. <laughs> like five, six years ago, I got rid of the last suit that I had from eighth grade only because it fell apart. Oh, not because they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> they don't make them like they. It's true. Anyway, so but the reason I bring that up is those are the important. Sarah's parts. falling asleep. Going, these guys are so boring. Old. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't say that. That's because you're falling asleep. You would say it if you were awake. <laughs> oh, okay. but the reason I bring this up to mm-hmm. you is to both of you. That's the the prax. That's that's what was important. Wearing the suit. Right. The suit was important. Sitting in shul, sitting in synagogue Saturday morning was important. Reading the words was semi-important. Thinking there was somebody listening to them. But chavot alevavot, the duties of the heart. Nah, there are none. Because nobody else's, from a social perspective. That's the point. What about fake it till you make it? Does that have anything to do with that? Ooh, good one. That is what many people were told. You definitely were one of them, if you know the phrase. By the way, that's also in the renewal movement. No, look, there is something about about the sentence, fake it till you make it, that has some truth to it. Like you said, if a person feels feels a certain way, he'll act in a certain way. Just like... A, Would you go like to somebody. a surgeon that faked it till he made it? God help us. Look... <laughs> <laughs> she just rolled her if eyes he, while she was saying that. If he's a, like a really good actor, no, <laughs> really good, oh man. Well, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Even if he's a really good actor and can like pull all the right moves, no, no. That's like you know. There, there's an example in Parakhelik at the end of uh, mm-hmm. the Second Sanhedrin, right? The Tractate of Sanhedrin. <laughs> the, the court of the 70 I don't know yeah. how do you say this in English so there's this situation where you have a person who believes in metim. he believes in the revival of the dead but he does not believe that it's from the Torah you know he's an Aristotelian who has reasoned his way there or you know a wishful thinker who would like to believe such a thing or whatever it doesn't matter but his belief is not grounded in Torah. It's just something he happens to believe. So even though he believes that, even though you could ask him about what is the process of the revival of the dead, and it could match whatever the sages say in every single detail, it has absolutely no significance because for him it's a total coincidence that he just happens to believe the right thing. Yeah. The I do point... not want that person to be my surgeon. Right. Well, no, I'm saying the, the but that point moving away from the surgeon joke and really hammering it home, you can't fake it until you make it if what you're doing isn't it. Oh, if you're only orthopractic, there is no fake it till you make it. Is that what you're saying? It, look, take the example you just gave. 
Mm-hmm. So that guy's going to tell you, or that guy's going to hear, chances are, mm-hmm. from his rabbi, or priest or whatever it is, and it's not only Judaism, right? Okay, so this is where you're holding now. Wait, you aren't a particularist? Who, me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you. Nah. Couldn't be. I'm not any ist. Then I don't no. like isms. No, I don't am like I alone ists. Here? Come on. Yes. You're a unique ist. Sarah. Everybody's um, unique, please. The the We are all individuals. The thing is, what he's faking isn't where he wants to go. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm pointing That's out. That's why you can't fake get there. it till you make it. Look, do you know where fake it till you make it comes from? Mitoshalolishma Balishma. Oh, yes. Right? So those that don't know what that means, uh, the Gemara says, uh, officially you're only allowed to do mitzvot if they're for the sake of that they're mitzvot. Somebody who Otherwise, happens... what the hell are you doing? Right. You're just using so, this mitzvot for yourself? Or more than that, you're just not doing anything. So somebody Clearly. shakes a palm frond on the Feast of Tabernacles, for but happens to be doing it because... I like shaking palm, palm fronds. fronds or or some weird, you know, whatever whatever it is. If he's not doing it for the fact that it's a mitzvah, then he's doing something else completely. And right. Sarah, excuse me for saying this. I don't know which schools you went to, but I get the impression that your education in terms of Torah and mitzvot in the schools, not necessarily in the home, but in the schools, sucked. Oh. Um... Is that fair? That, it really does depend. Um, it's it's quite a, a strong thing to say. But, well, in my early years, definitely. I think it just, mm. it's probably something that developed on super bias. You're it's saying it got better as, as you got to higher levels in education? I think it's, I think I grew up and there was more. Just my previous education probably prevented the more and also there's always always did did it get better yeah is that because of you is that because schools changed is that because the teachers were more free to be real as the kids were older what do you think it was i think it was just not going to teachers i didn't like i i could just Mm -hmm. it was a personality thing i just yeah i and you had choice teachers i didn't but i chose anyway (laughs) <laughs> um, no, oh, look, there, I... there is a warrior for freedom. <laughs> she didn't have the liberty to make those decisions, but she still did it. Yeah, that's kind of how it went. Yeah, it's true. Look, I'm definitely biased. I'm not going to pretend it's not. I'm not going to say that all my teachers suck, that nobody had anything real to say or anything like that. But I am saying that I'm saying that how people view their own religion is messed up in the way of they don't view it. They don't look at it. They just, they grow up in it. So it's their default. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, what you're saying is precisely the proof that you actually received a fantastic education. Really? Yes. From whom? From wherever she, wherever school she was in. Who says school or parents? Both. All of it. Or just living in Eretz Israel. You can, I'm sure, assign some value to that also. No, but that's what I'm saying. I'm not only talking talking about her. 
the the things she just pointed out mm-hmm. is precisely why the education system is the way it is. It's precisely why the overwhelming religious, at least in the Jewish world, the overwhelming flavor of religious life is orthopractic and not orthodoxic. It's it's also why ultimately that's the way things have to be. You said something very powerful. I'm not sure if you realized it. She did not. No, I don't know. You pointed out that people grow up in these things, and so that's the way they are to them. They never think about it, and it's never real to them. Oh, no, she knew that. You can't make people... I can't teach you what something means to you. Any teacher that ever gave you an insight, any teacher that ever got your heart to sing about something, didn't hand something to you, they showed you how to how to do it yourself. The guy who taught you literature, that for the first time you sat there and you saw a poem and it was a poem, he didn't sit there and explain to you why this is a good poem. He was the first guy that got you to look at this poem with your own eyeballs. Sure, you learned all the things that go into a poem, whatever else, fine. But that wasn't the point. Look, you and I know this on a on a purely linguistic level. We don't have education. We have chinuch. Initiation. Dedication. Initiation. It yes. has flavors of both. But that's the point. The mm-hmm. most you can do... Well, they, they are the same thing. And ultimately, a, yes. But in English, they're not. Right. I'm not <laughs> sure that's where, that's where I get it from, though. No, no, I just like here's my people. point. You're a young adult. All right. Do you live a religious lifestyle for the most part? I don't know, do I? I'm, I'm asking you. You're Shomer Do you? Shomer yeah. yeah. Shomer Shabbos. Shomer Yeah. Yeah. You keep the Yom Tovim as they come out. Yeah. For the most part. Again, for the most part, you know. Wait, you don't daven three times a day? No. Okay. I haven't done since we, third we grade. Established we established that. Imagine that that's a problem <laughs> we for spoke you. Spoke about this. <laughs> no, but here that again. This is the point. So this she things, says Oyve like five times. Like at that least counts five as prayer. That, that like. Well, that, actually, that's there, not prayer. A certain there. That's politics. That's that old <laughs> Jewish joke, right? These three old men are sitting in shul, and the first right, yeah, the davening ends. People are leaving. They're old. They have nowhere to be. So they're sitting with each other. And first guy goes Oy. Second guy goes Oyve. First guy goes, ah, hi. Third guy goes, hey, if you two don't quit talking politics, I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so, so, I is either prayer or politics. That that is so much our situation today. Just to situate this particular episode in time. Yeah. Like the ridiculousness of what's going on with Netanyahu, the ridiculousness that Netanyahu is still prime minister, the ridiculousness that we don't have a different political system, the ridiculousness of Italy and of... Trump's tweets and everything else. I'm sorry, I just wanted to put that up. Yeah. Okay. You missed half of it. It's okay. I, I I'm not going to try to go for all of it. Just like, <laughs> to throw out a few things right. to situate us in time. So, so the point is, you live practically a Jewish life. Yeah. And now you're always. at a point where you can begin to explore within that life what about it is meaningful, and what about it will give you a sense of. Uh, not a sense, but will give you an opportunity for personal expression. Hold on, hold to on, hold on. To a certain extent. Hmm. Yeah, no, go. Okay, Tzvi just said something. With, no, sorry. Tzvi just didn't say something that I thought it was amazing. What was that? He didn't say meaningful for you. He Correct. He said meaningful 
Nikuda. Mm. Period. Oh, right. there was a comma after it because I said yes, something. Exactly. <laughs> there was a comma, yes. Or semicolon or yeah. what have you. But but it wasn't. No, it's not solipsistic. Into the merely personal. Right. Right. Okay. So, guys, if you're gonna use complicated words next time, you're gonna have to explain them. I don't. My vocabulary isn't that good. Solipsistic. Yes. Yes. Something which is self-referencing. All right. You're saying that as if I was supposed to know that. Like, duh. Now you do. <laughs> Ta-da! Ta-da! Exactly. Right. Okay. Before I wanted to ask you, Sarah, did you yes. ever find yourself waving a lulav because you like waving a lulav? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm doing um, this mitzvah because, like. This is Not because point. it's a mitzvah, because like I like to do this. That's my point. I, I don't do things I don't really want to do as a general rule. It's just not worth it. I had this amazing teacher in, what, like fifth grade? I, I'll i still, like, she's the one teacher I will always, like, so like be grateful to. that's, like, two years ago? To. Three years ago? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was that long ago. So, basically, I'll always be grateful to that teacher, and she's the one teacher I really do remember for like in a good way what what was special about that teacher so the thing is she she was ironically my math teacher and (laughs) and for those of you who don't know me i do not like math me and numbers are not friends she was really like she taught me for a couple years and she was Hmm. i really liked her because i showed up to school and she said hey you coming today and I just look at her and I'd be like, nope. And she'd be like, all right, have a nice day. And mm. she left and she would leave me alone. And she would not try to make me do anything that I didn't want. Mm. Which is unlike the other teacher. I didn't listen to them anyway. All right. What does that mean? They're like, hey, come to class. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. What did you do when you weren't going to class? Oh, I can't remember. The reason I liked her so much is that she didn't make me do anything that I didn't want. And when it comes to education, or chinuch specifically, you can't make somebody want something. And that's yeah. that's something most people miss. Totally. Especially teachers. So as I was saying, you can't make people want something you can't make people love something you can't make people find something meaningful so the most you can do is say here it is love me love me say that (laughs) wow that's old so is he (laughs) i'm ancient we've talked about that yeah so the most you can do is set everything out for other people and say here it is by the way, our big halacha sefer is called, right? The law book is... Mishnah Torah. <laughs> close. I knew Shulchan you were going to do this. Shulchan Aruch, <laughs> which means the arranged table, the set-up table, as if to say, when you're ready, you'll sit down and eat. It comes right out of Parshat Mishpatim. Yes. Right. So we, not so long ago, we read a section of the Torah where the introductory comment by the great commentator, Rashi, is you should set out these rulings before the people like a set table. Don't just, you know, say it to them once, but, you know, arrange it, make it nice. They should they should sit down to this and go, ah, oh, yeah, this is great. 
But here's the unspoken part. It takes until they decide to sit down to it. Yes. So so here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You actually, and this is what I was saying, you actually received a fantastic education. It worked. And it worked well. Did it? It didn't work for most of my peers. Really? Most. They're just not ready to go explore yet. Maybe. We might never know. But I guarantee you no, that at some no, point no, no, no. in their lives, something will happen that'll make them start to think. Okay, but that's just like... Or at least the First of all, not everybody is you, all right? Who said that's me? Me. I said you. No, I'm saying I'm not comparing them to myself. Yeah. I, I was a weirdo. I was a... I, I know you're not comparing them, but it's a different culture. You're still a weirdo. Right, but I'm saying I started thinking because I yeah. was a weirdo oh, early. Yeah. But, but, a, but, but you're basically just saying the world works. Masebreshi creation works. No. Okay. I'm saying that the most you can do, or the best you can do, if you want ideas to grow and evolve and stay, then you don't try to give them over. Hmm. You make them available. Mm-hmm. And you make them available in a way where they're interactive with the people that are going to carry them into the future. Did your father and mother do that for you? No. Really? No, they still don't. Sarah? I don't know. I don't think so. The, oh, yeah, so sure. it's not that creation works. It's that the Jewish mode and method of education over the years has worked because this is what it sets out to do. It's not out to teach you anything as much as it's out to set you within a context. Mm-hmm. To put you with, plant you, I should say, within a world. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not the world, it's oh, a world. Wow. But, by and large, most people stay within that world. To the point where most of the people who left it, that I have met, define everything in their lives by its inverse. Mm-hmm. So they're still stuck in it. They just tell themselves they're not. I think that that is what was, in a sense most disabling in my quote-unquote Jewish education, both in the context of the reform movement, where I wasn't given a, here it is, go for it, man. I was given, these are our beliefs. This is what you subscribe to, and everything else is insane. And then when I went to yeshiva, now, as a becoming Orthodox Jew, right? It, actually, this is a little bit complicated because I went to a good yeshiva, mm-hmm. not by conventional definitions. <laughs> I went to an insane yeshiva by conventional definitions. But to the extent that it was bad, it was bad because people were trying to figure out this is what we believe. And it was good when the Rosh Yeshiva refused, when the head of the Yeshiva refused to give answers, which was almost always, and he just said, figure it out for yourselves. Why don't you read this? Why don't you read that? Why why did you only read that? So you asked the question 40 minutes ago. Did I? Yes. What did I ask? I mentioned the difference between beliefs and ideology, and you said, well, what's the difference? Okay. That's the difference. Beliefs involve you. Ideologies tell you who you are. There's a very big difference. You live in a world of belief, despite, in your head, you thinking that you don't. 
You're saying that Sarah thinks that she got an ideology, but actually she has beliefs. More than that. Sarah thinks she doesn't believe in anything. But she does. I don't think that. I know I... I you know, know you I don't believe, believe in, in anything. No, I know that I know that I believe in things that are probably not true. That's how the world works. Is that's amazing. <laughs> that's like she's enlightened. Yes, but that's one of the like wait. Light. That's yeah. one of the outcomes of she such an educational system. Stupid no, that's she's a that's friend. A, that's no. an outcome of talking to you, man. Fine, <laughs> but no, but that's not true. By the way, don't give me that's any. Not. Don't give See, me all the, the credit, and I'm not sure you should give me any credit. Yeah, no, I'm being serious. No, 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 I'm being serious. This is an outcome. You and I were discussing this yesterday mm. amongst ourselves, and, yeah. and we, we will get to this as, a, as an episode on the podcast. We were discussing, look, we discussed this actually in passing. We did this Social Justice Warrior episode, right, and how they basically are a belief system, except they think it's facts. One and of you the complaints and I, about that episode was that we really should have laid into the Social Justice Warriors more. That we, you know, I try to be more? nice and apolitical. No, that's <laughs> not good. End, you really tried to swing it in a nice way for them. I say I try to be nice and stay apolitical. I that's know, my thing. Nice is But you didn't grow up with these people. <laughs> Correct. No, no, no. I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing. And if, if listen, if that's really an overwhelming amount of the feedback, fine. I mean, you saw it in, with me on Facebook. I was just crucified. Yeah, but that was funny. It was funny. <laughs> and I had a good time with it. We were talking what you and I termed the, the god hole or the black hole. So, you're right. So, just to summarize the conversation we were having yesterday, I mentioned to Sfi that I had an utter revelation while reading Alan Bloom. And what I realized was that the people saying, hold on, I'm a classical liberal, I'm not one of these regressive liberals, regressive leftists, or whatever the terminology is. I'm not one of those social justice warriors. I'm a classical liberal. I'm a Lockean, Rousseauian, Hobbesian, whatever, right? That that's not a solution. That's not a step forward. It's really a kind of nostalgia. And, okay, that, that should be obvious because they're saying, well, let's go back to what we had before. That's the definition of nostalgia, right? But it looks like it should be a solution. This is always enchanting, right? When we look back at the thing that was working and saying, okay, let's bring it back again. Nostalgia sort of hides itself. But it Just to date this podcast one more time, we're in the middle of bringing back the Smoot-Hawley tariffs. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. That's an, that's an amazing <laughs> way of saying that. <laughs> so what I realized was that if you take another big step back from classical liberalism, back from Locke, Hobbes, Rousseau, into ancient political philosophy, you immediately see the inadequacy of this classical liberalism. The, the classical liberal view is basically a social contract, and it makes the individual primary. So therefore, in order to have a society, we need to have some way to bind us together. That way to bind us together will be the social contract. The social contract only works because individuals can consent to being involved in this thing together. Okay, that whole picture is radically opposed to an ancient picture, which Whereas in the ancient picture, what do you have? God. 
Well, hold on. Before <laughs> that, before that, because God is almost a tool for a lot of the ancient picture. Because yeah. remember, there is a photosara. There Rrr. is a poetry, right? Okay. So in the ancient picture, you have a body politic. You have a whole organic entity, which is, as you were saying yesterday, an ummah. Yes. Right? And today, what passes as a nation is a shadow of what used to be a nation. Well, that's the thing. The word doesn't really mean nation. Exactly. Today, nation, country, state are all coextensive. They're all the same thing. That was not the case until very recently. One of the reasons that the left is so in love with global Islam today Hmm. is exactly that. They have an ummah. Oh, that's cool. Okay, good. I mean, like, say say another sentence. The, the Ummah mm-hmm. is not a nation. It's a collective. It's a community. It's a society. It's a it's a tribe. That's what it really is. That, that's it's identity an, it's, politics. There's a... There's a ah! Hey, we just saw that in the election in Italy. And everywhere just, else. And in America and Poland but it, and but everywhere it, else. But yeah. these are Hungary. poor substitutes England by de- defining your tribe based on people who have similar goals or well, hoped for goals in in future legislation you know, you know future legislation is pathetic it's shallow whereas you and I and Sarah who have grown up in wildly different places with wildly different stories and wildly different Forget our past. We have wildly different dreams for our futures. We live wildly different lives. And yet, on some weird level, we all identify as part of one whole. So, from an ancient perspective, all this is insane. Because the individual is totally subordinate to the whole. The model is not, this is all coming straight out of Alan Bloom's The Closing of the American Mind. The model is not the herd, where there are individuals that can arbitrarily be separated off. The model is the hive, where everybody has a function in the whole. And your function is part of nature. And nature is not something to be overcome. It is prescriptive. If things are this way, they are this way for a reason. That's funny because it's like, it's almost... Well, you've just come full circle. This is why well, I like the Book of Kings so much. Well, well, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what I find ironic about this is it's Darwinian, but for exactly the opposite reasons. Yes. Yes. So the point is that the classical liberal view is missing what people are actually missing. What people are looking for today is how do I connect to the whole? Where the hell am I? In what sense does the place that I'm a part of, the people that I'm a part of, the society that I'm a part of, whatever this whole is that I'm looking at now? Or is it one in the first place? How does this impinge upon me in a legitimate way? That's what I want to know. I'm not interested in defending my individual rights. That's a foregone conclusion, obviously. Everyone is, yeah. Yes, of course, individual rights. I want to know, how do I go beyond that? How does the beyond that somehow make me? Please, tell me that. 
And that's not at all obvious to people, but it was perfectly obvious to the ancients. And that's why in the Crito, Socrates can reasonably say, of course I'm going to die because the state made me. Athens made me. And so if Athens decides that I need to die, I'm going to die. Do I disagree? Do I still believe in what I believe? Yes. But my mother decided that this is what needs to become of me. So, of course, I'm going to obey my mother. Period. That's it. Right? Okay. Avraham disagrees with that. But, but the point is that, that to try to return to classical liberalism is just to recapitulate the problem. And what I was trying to tell you yesterday, mm-hmm. but did not manage to do, was that all of the people who are saying, let's go back to classical liberalism, are trying to fill that hole. And they're offering what is theological or cosmological, it doesn't particularly matter, in place of that. So Jordan Peterson, for example, gives a sort of, well, he gives a, a, a Jungian read of Christianity. I think he'd agree with that. I think that's mm-hmm. you know that's not a bad way to say it. I'm not no, saying anything pejorative. No, that's a great thing we're okay. saying. Brett Weinstein explicitly disagrees about you know any sort of Christian read of things. I mean, he's Jewish, but he would it disagree helps. with the Jewish read of things too. Yeah. But but his cosmological view is an evolutionary cosmological view. That's how he fills the God hole. Right. Well, this right. is and every this single is what one I have of these started thinkers, saying that you're explaining. Every single one of these thinkers who is a serious thinker will have something to stick there because they all know unconsciously usually, but they all know that to return to that classical liberalism, we have a social contract is insufficient because the social contract is running on the fumes of whatever is left over from your sacred Whatever your sacred was, look, we your can put sacred this in far is the simpler only terms. thing that can give you morality and direction. And if you don't have that, then you're left with postmodernism. You're left with total relativism, total washout. There is nothing. It's so just look, have you a good can, time. You can just put this in much simpler terms. If everyone is going to be bound together by something, it has to be something which actually binds them all together. Now that we have finally given this whole explanation, the reason I brought this up was to point out exactly that little stupid pithy sentence. And the reason I wanted to point out the stupid little pithy sentence is because how you and I were discussing it yesterday, which is, for some weird reason, we Jews don't have that problem. Yeah. As we touched on, we have this concept of an Uma. If you haven't gotten it up until this point, Uma means... Nation. It means nation, but it's not. But nation really. is a washed out word in English. Right. The point is this any collective needs an organizing principle. Any group needs to have something it's grouped around. Why? What makes it a group? What is holding all these different things together that they're now one thing? Is Whatever the social they want. contract sufficient? Hold on. Whatever that... they find important. Wh- hang on. That means else. that everybody has to find those things important. The Uma that the Jews have and the Uma that the Muslims have are essentially religious, except they're not. They're also ethnic, well, but for, they're not for, because the Muslims share many ethnicities. There's my, enough of a commonality 
with this system of beliefs, with this system of values, with this system of shared celebrations in terms of holidays, in terms of whatever, there's enough of a life created by this system that various people can share it and therefore are part of one bigger whole. What you said now reminds me of two verses in Exodus, which are contrasted. When we're standing at Har Sinai, at Mount Sinai, it's like one person with one heart. And when Egypt comes after us at the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, it's of one heart as one person, which sounds like a very high thing for Egypt. I mean, Egypt was the center of civilization. It's a, a really significant place, you know. It's a great thing that we were enslaved there. <laughs> but the contrast is a striking contrast. So we were talking now about how beliefs can bind a people together. And as you just said, can create a shared life. And that's the reality of Egypt there. That they share the left, they share their heart, they share their beliefs, and so they're capable of incorporated action. Whereas, I think what really we need to aspire to, and this is not a historical reality, it's hard to, to find a, an example in history because societies have been so driven by ideology. But I believe what we're aspiring to is a sense of our shared life. And from that shared life would emerge our shared life, our shared, not just beliefs, but culture, society, our shared language even. Yeah, I think that guy hits it on the head. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you haven't found us on Facebook, just search for Holy Madness, the show. We pop right up and join the discussion group. And you could join the discussion group. We'd love to hear what you think. Spread the love. And please spread the love.